1: And we are here in week two of May 2021 with our theme of May Music Documentaries. And we're going to be talking about Gimme Shelter from 1970. Yes, I had to verify that date. Um, Later tonight, uh, a Rolling Stones documentary that I picked, um, had never seen. And honestly, I am ashamed of how little I knew about this specific documentary and yet how much I knew at the same time. Um, Mm. But didn't realize uh, at the like how uh, ingrained in pop culture this particular concert was. Um, so that's what we're going to get into. But before we talk about tonight's movie, we like to catch up with how things have been since the last time we recorded and what else we've been watching. So, Corey, how you doing?
0: I am fine. I'm um, glad, uh, you know, that it's technically my weekend. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Nothing exciting to report over here.
1: Well, it is. Uh, we're recording on a Thursday. We usually record on Fridays, but this week we both were, uh, occupied on Friday. So we opted to uh, do it at night early. Um, and so I, I crammed still my normal Thursday into my day, despite having to also do this. Um, so usually on Thursdays I meet up with, uh, some friends and we play magic, um, with masks, despite being vaccinated. Um, and, uh, and then we, we, we go to dinner before that. And then, um, after magic i go to the gym and so uh, i'm usually home about 10:30 and i shower and go to bed and so uh i'm usually home about 11 cuz i don't get to the gym till like 9:30ish tonight i got i left a little early got to the gym a little earlier and um and then you know came home showered and then now we're recording so it's i'm a little more tired than normal uh cuz it was a long day and um you know, our yearbooks came in, uh, this week. So I've been, I am the yearbook advisor at my school. And so I've, I have to like distribute the yearbooks. And we also had cap and gown photos this week, um, for the seniors, which usually we do that in January, but because of COVID the, the photography company wanted to, um, usually they provide like a, a cap and gown for them to wear, right. They just rotate them out and it's already kind of, there's always a risk with that because of like lice and stuff like that. But, mm. um, But with COVID, it was an extra risk. So they opted to uh, wait until the students already had their actual cap and gown. So everyone would bring their own and we would take pictures in that, which has other problems because um, the actual cap and gowns are very shiny. And so they don't they don't photograph quite as well. At least that's what my new photography company told me. Um, This was my last other than graduation. This was my last uh, use of this particular company we've used since I took over. I opted to switch companies for next year to find a, I was looking for a company that had a closer studio. Um, So if my seniors couldn't make it to our on-campus days that they could actually get to the studio without it being like an hour drive. Um, And so I I found a a good company that is now offering that exact thing I was looking for. But uh, nevertheless, um, the Kevin Young photos are, you know, they, they made me, I had to stay late yesterday. Uh, Like I was one of the last, I was the last person on campus yesterday. and uh and then we had it this morning um so but that's it's in my one of my i have technically i have three rooms for my classroom because i'm the film teacher i have a classroom classroom i have a computer lab and then i have a like a tv studio you know green screen wall really high ceilings and uh soundproof sound dampening wall uh panels and stuff like that uh, which was originally used to do like a news show but we we stopped doing the news show several years ago and so like it works that space is really good for photography stuff when we have these, like just a single uh, photographer on campus kind of thing. So it makes it easier for me. Cause like when we do the full like underclass picture day, I have to take the day off and I'm not off, but like, I'm not in my classroom. I'm in the, the auditorium with the four or five photographers and I'm, you know, like basically herding children around like, okay, you go over here, you go over here and just like keeping them moving so I can get the entire, you know, 1600. Well, 1200 because there's seniors don't take those pictures but it's it's a picture days my nightmare every year it, it is it always goes smoothly but it's always like there's so many like balls in the air and it'd be easy to like you know cause problems or for like if a fight happens because there's you know 30 40 students all in a room together and yes, you know, some students are are pretty good about not fighting especially this year with COVID it, it was not really an issue but um yeah uh sorry I didn't mean to go off on that tangent but that's that's my, my days, and um, this week was hectic as a result of all of that stuff going on. Normal normal work stuff, and uh, for the most part, g- pretty smooth. There's always some criticisms about our yearbook, and I, I'm not the best at receiving criticism. Ironic, because I, I critique movies uh, on the regular, but um, mostly been really positive. Uh, again, it was really hard to do the yearbook this year because we only had about half of our students ever on campus at any time. Um, which means about half of them weren't even really likely to end up in the book as a result, just because they weren't going to be at events and stuff for us to take pictures of them. Uh, we did offer opportunities for them to upload pictures and we tried to have like, like modules, like what's it like at home or ways to pass the time during COVID and things like that to try to bring anybody in who was wanting to participate, but they had to take the picture. They had to take the initiative to send it to us and all that. It was, it was a lot we tried, but, uh, the design of our book came out really, really well. And people really liked the way it looks. Um, which is helping us, you know, sell additional copies, even though, again, uh, we're definitely missing a lot of our students, but we, we did what we could. So, to bore you to death with school talk. Um,
0: <laughs> I was just thinking, guys, I hated high school, sorry. Um, like, with the seething passion, I hated it. Um, <laughs> didn't go as much as I possibly could. That I would be one of those students that wasn't in the book.
1: Well, yeah, but did it was, make up for her? You know, this is different because it's like COVID. It's like it's not just one or two who don't come to school. It's like yeah. no one was coming to school. Kind I, of thing. I
0: wouldn't even take any initiative. I'm terrible.
1: Yeah, well, again, <laughs> a lot didn't. A lot didn't. So no, no. I, you know, um, yeah, it's all good. But uh, that's basically, I guess, what's been going on. So let's get into what we've been watching. Um, you want to go first this
0: week? <laughs> Mine's really short. Um, I've just been busy doing stuff so just still continuing game of thrones homies and i watch forensic files on my lunch <laughs> cuz so uh, mm. good sorry so interesting
1: None. um was that it yeah that's it oh, i was really short. um i don't remember for sure but i'm pretty sure i finished mighty ducks game changers on the weekend after we recorded oh. so um but not finished because i didn't realize that all the episodes weren't out yet. I still have three weeks left. Uh, I guess one is either dropping tomorrow. I I don't know if they drop on Fridays or not, to be honest, but there's, there's one for this week. I haven't seen yet. And then two more weeks before it's over. So I, I I didn't realize I'd caught up. I was very sad when I got to episode seven. I'm like, wait, why will not I play the next episode? And then I was like, there's, there's supposed to be 10. Oh no, what did I do? Um, I really thought I waited uh, till it was out, and I was wrong. So I have I have a couple weeks left to go, but I'm really enjoying that show again. Mighty Ducks Game Changers. If you haven't bothered and you have Disney Plus, take a take a minute and watch it. Okay, I'm pretty sure uh, Matt and I reviewed this week for Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, The Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix. Oh yeah, um, I think that's my favorite movie so far this year. Um, it, it's so good. It's uh, directed by uh written and directed by the guys who are I think they wrote and directed most of Gravity Falls which is a cartoon I've never watched but my daughter was into and it was very popular um and I'm not saying it's a perfect movie but I had so much fun watching it and there is for me it resonated really hard partly because a major element of the plot is daughter's going off to college dad oh. feels separated from his daughter and is not thrilled that they're leaving on these kind of terms kind of thing and so My daughter is about to become a senior. Um, She's, there's definitely, I know, right? I know. And and with that, you know, she's becoming her own person. So we're definitely not as actively close as we were for many, many years. And, you know, she has her own stuff going on now. So, and of course, COVID didn't help because one of the things we did the most was go to the movies together and the movie theaters were taken from us. Um, So You know, like this movie hit real hard for that reason alone, but I also laughed so so much. It's such a fun movie. Um really solid voice cast and Maya Rudolph is super great in the mom role. Um I I just absolutely loved it. Can't recommend it enough. Our episode with Matt and I talking about it, uh spoiler free, is out anywhere you get your podcast. Bloody awesome movie podcast. Um the uh last week the Turner Classic Movie Fest was happening, but like virtually through HBO Max and uh, leonard malton who is a famous 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 film critic who i am a big fan of um he posted like five movies to watch at before the festival and i had not seen two of them um i've now seen one of those two but i had not seen a movie and i uh, i did i still have not watched this one but it's called scarecrows and that one is really interesting because it stars a uh, young al pacino and gene hackman um so i want to check that one out because i'd never heard of it before but Um, He also recommended the original, the taking of Pelham one, two, three from 1974, uh, starring Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. And when I saw Robert Shaw was in it, I was in um, 100 percent. And I also I've seen a few uh, movies with. um, Wow, I just said his name and I completely just forgot who I said, but uh, I've seen a few Walter Matthau movies this year, uh, including A New Leaf and uh, Charade. Um and so this was like I'm like oh I'm kind of I'm working through his filmography on accident but I'm enjoying it very much and he's so good in this movie I really had a great time watching this film uh, it's on HBO Max definitely worth checking out um, I watched uh, a documentary that was nominated for best documentary at the Oscars this year called Time uh, so it's the 2020 movie um, it's on Amazon Prime really compelling documentary very very um candid and personal story um tragic at times but also it's it's all in black and white and it just looks really really good at moments it some of its home footage but then there's stuff where the camera you can tell like a documentary crew picks up the the project after many years of filming um and the, it just looks fantastic uh and then i caught to i wanted to listen to the newest episode of the slash filmcast and they were doing this movie that i had not heard of um and i was really surprised i had not heard of it uh, because it has such a great cast. Corey, I, th- I think you will like the cast. I don't know if you like the movie or not. But it's called Stowaway. It's a Netflix original. Um, or at least, I'm sorry. Maybe it's not a Netflix original. It's on Netflix. Uh, but it is a 2021 movie. It stars Anna Kendrick, um, Tony Collette, Daniel Day Kim, and Shamir Anderson. And uh, Daniel Day Kim, I believe, was on Lost. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. But that's where I know him best is from Lost. I've seen several movies he's in as well, but um, I, uh, I really liked this movie. I actually liked this a lot more than I was expecting to. I had to watch it in two parts um, because I I started it thinking I, for some reason I thought it was only 90 minutes and it's closer to two hours. So I had like planned 90 minutes and I was like, Oh no, I have to leave. Um, And so I finished it the next day, but I really, really liked it. It's it's um, it's sci-fi, but it's like real grounded sci-fi. It's not like the over the top sci-fi. I like a lot of the choices the film makes. It, it Every time I thought I, I kind of knew what tropes it was going to throw in, it, it didn't. And I really found myself uh, at the end just having enjoyed it, um, thinking the cast was so good. The performance is really good. The premise was really interesting. And yeah, um, I liked it quite a bit. And then I watched uh, our movie for the week. So I think that leads us into that. Uh, any comments before we
0: move on? No, I was just looking up that movie.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm hoping Matt's going to check it out, too, because I think it's in Matt's wheelhouse of uh, sci-fi stuff. Um, and there's another film that uh, one of my, my co-workers and friends also had just watched Stowaway and mentioned a film called Oxygen, uh, which is also on Netflix. I've not seen that one, but I'm uh, I'm also intrigued by that, so I'm going to try to check that one out maybe this weekend. Um, but I guess before we get into Gimme Shelter... Um, this week, uh, coming out in theaters is the newest saw reboot or soft sequel. Uh, that was apparently pitched by Chris Rock, who stars in the film. Um, and it's going to be, I think my return, uh, no, it's, I can't say, I think I, I can't check it out on this one. I have to go to the theater, Corey, uh, cause we're reviewing it for bloody awesome movie podcast. So I, I'm finally going to return to the movie theaters. I had planned to do that about a month ago. And I just haven't been able to work up the, it's not just courage. It's also like my, my local theater still has not reopened. So I have to drive at least half an hour. And my fear of like getting to the theater and it being crowded has stopped me from that. Because like, if I'm going to drive 30 minutes, I'm going to well, feel like I have to commit to it, you know?
0: Um, so WH is open?
1: Yeah, yeah. They from I don't know that they've closed they're no longer called what they used to be called though. It's a different company that owns them. Oh. Uh, well and Oh, go ahead. No, no. And then but there's also an AMC and um uh Cinemark and a Cinepolis all within about the same distance. Uh AMC's oh. just a little further out. Um it's just like forty five minutes and I could go north or south for that one. I could go to the Disney Springs or I could go to the small uh Seabring Theater, but um, but still like, it's that, that, you know, I, if it were my, my theater that I've been to for a billion times, uh, I would be a little more comfortable Yeah, and, and especially because I don't, I assume that once they do reopen and they supposedly they are, um, my regal pass will be usable immediately. And so I won't have to pay for the ticket. That's the other thing. Anywhere I go, I'm gonna have to drop like 12 bucks on a ticket on top of the extra gas so I've been like really putting it off, but uh, I've committed to seeing Spiral. This uh, I don't know if I ever said the name of the movie. Spiral is the name of the film. Um, so I I will be going to the theater because that's what we're reviewing, and the only way to watch it is in theaters right now. So
0: well, you're gonna have to buy your ticket anyway. Can you book it online? Because I know when I'm booking tickets online, mm-hmm. um, that it's like blocking out so many seats.
1: Yes, uh, some theaters do that. Um, not all of our theaters have the reserve seating for some reason. Mm. Still, um, but most of the ones uh, ours doesn't. Like my local one does not, but they're not open, so not not an issue. But um, in some ways, I find that worse though, because if someone is a jerk and still, even if they don't book, even if they can't book the seats adjacent to you, they can still book a seat that's near you, even though there's a bunch of other empty seats where. Like if I was uncomfortable at a normal theater, I could get up and move versus like in a reserve seat. I'm stuck. Right. Or at least I would feel stuck because I I like to follow rules. And so I would not be comfortable just taking a different seat. Um,
0: I never understand that. And I know that we've talked about this before. I would never purposely sit and I've had people like sit right beside me like mm -hmm. COVID and they're like all these seats open and they could have Mm -hmm. at least left a few between us, but they sit right beside me. Yep. And it's always weirdies. Yep. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. It drives me crazy. Cause like I will intentionally look for the empty area and that's where I'm going to pick my seat. Um, and then like someone will just be like, Nope, I'm going to sit next to you. But, like, <laughs> but why? And then you, can, you can, it's not cool to get up and move because someone else might buy the seat you've moved to. And then you got that whole awkward, you know, exchange. So yeah, that's the one reason I'm, I'm less sold on the reserve seats. Uh, because again, and in, in like a our theater, if someone uncomfortably sat close to me, I could get up and move and go to a different location or whatever. Um, not that I would want to like bounce around to a bunch of seats or something, but I would I at least like that knowing that if someone does infringe on my, my space, but now that the CDC said, you don't have to wear a mask in certain scenarios. And if you read into what they said, it, it they specify most places, if you have your vaccination with the exception of like uh, public transit, but I'm just like, y'all should say movie theaters too. Cause that's, that's a long time sitting in a big room with a bunch of people. And if it's a bunch of people, you should be wearing masks. Like you just should, you know, like, cause again, variants are a real thing. So we don't know if the variants will, you know, if the vaccine will fight all the variants. So that's the, the concern is that, you know, we'll just make variants so fast. We can't keep up with them, but I don't know. Well, who knows Uh, you know it's it's stressful but nevertheless let's get into the movie of the week we're here to talk about gimme shelter from 1970 uh it is directed by three different people apparently albert macelles david macelles macelles i don't know how to say that name and charlotte zerwin man they got some last names boy um it is a documentary about the rolling stones so of course it features a lot of rolling stones mick jagger keith richards mick taylor i don't know if all these people are from rolling stones or not i'm assuming they are charlie watts i only know keith Richards and mick jagger um and uh the rolling stones it actually lists the whole band as themselves that's interesting um bill wyman um uh, marty uh Ballen from jefferson airplane basically jefferson airplanes in here uh, uh tina turner yeah the tina turner was surprising because next week we're watching tina so i, I was like, I was like was...
0: what
1: how appropriate um uh the flying burrito brothers which i did not know was a band
0: yeah see you think that i just make things up and it's like i i really appreciate that you think that though i know you don't really it's just like yeah, our joke
1: it's a, it's a bit
0: it's a joke but you know if you thought i was a, really that creative but yeah the flying burrito brothers i'd never heard them before okay just heard of them but like
1: you got like real defensive as though i we'd had a conversation about them before and i was like no, Do you like no, this no, band no. not at um, all
0: i okay. mean from that one song but they're not what I I mean, I maybe I should have thought about that, but I guess not what I was expecting.
1: I just can't believe that there's a band called the Flying Burrito Brothers. That's all I'm saying. It's a that's a <laughs> unique name. Um, and, are they really I, brothers?
0: They, they eat a lot of burritos? I have questions.
1: Uh, and I guess I guess the Grateful Dead are in it, but they, they don't guess, play. Yeah. yeah. Was he was he in it? I didn't catch Yeah, he like, was the
0: guy with the crazy mop of hair and the black beard and
1: I mean, I am somewhat familiar with them because of the movie Half-Baked, but um, I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. Honestly, not a Rolling Stones fan. In fact, uh, I am a Beatles fan. And mm-hmm. uh, because my uncles constantly played the Beatles around me, um, they never pushed Rolling Stones on me. And I, I I, don't, I've obviously heard some of their songs, mind you, yeah. and I don't dislike some of their songs. Obviously, there's some good stuff. I, I'm a big fan of Paint It Black because of Stir of Echoes movie. Um is a song that I'd never heard of before, and I just thought it was really cool, and I like how they used it in that movie. Um, but uh, I I picked this on accident, which I didn't know it was an accident. <laughs> so I'm intrigued. You know, I watched a lot of Martin Scorsese. I've watched all of Martin Scorsese's feature films, and I finished uh, several of them this year. Mm-hmm. And I bought a box set because there was no way to watch Boxcar Bertha outside of me buying this box set. And in the box set came his, one of his documentaries, the last waltz, right? Now I also knew that he had done a rolling stones documentary. And, um, I, when I was looking at documentary, saw this was the one about the rolling stones and assumed this must've been Martin Scorsese's rolling stones documentary. It is not. Um, I will tell you in a second what his actual, uh, documentary on the rolling stones is called, but it's not this one. And uh, so I picked this one thinking this would cover that and it it did not. So um, that said, I was like, oops, Uh, but this one, it was, I think I looked at like a list of like the most influential music documentaries or something like that. And I just, I made a bunch of assumptions (laughs) that I could have easily fact-checked and I didn't. And so my bad uh, in that way. However, I do think this one was, was awesome uh, because of what it is about and i didn't know um again going into this what it was but i also have heard a lot about this particular concert without ever really like knowing all about where is the stupid documentary that he
0: did a light it's called what shine a light
1: yes that is the one that i thought we were doing or that, that i meant to pick um i don't see it on oh there it is the box art's different than everywhere else but okay so, not a fan of Rolling Stones, mistook this to be a Martin Scorsese documentary. So, I still haven't seen any of his <laughs> documentaries. And um, yet, yeah, the synopsis on IMDb is: When three hundred thousand members of the Love Generation collided with a few dozen Hell's Angels at San Francisco's Altamont Speedway, the bloody slash that transformed a decade's dreams into dis- disillusionment was immortalized on this film. So, Earl, last year during the pandemic, I watched Woodstock. Um, because for movie astrology the other another podcast i do with matt uh we did 1970 and that was in the top 10 and it's also big tuna's one of his favorite movies like woodstock is like one of his favorite films of all time uh it's like a 4 hour documentary it took no. me like 2 days to watch um and frankly it's i've i'd seen a lot of it because a lot of it is concert footage that has been used in tons and tons of things, right? Like, there's so many clips of Woodstock. Most likely, if you've seen a clip of Woodstock, it is from this documentary. And I, I did not know the proximity to this concert until uh, watching this documentary. I like that this insp- inspired—this was supposed to be the West Coast um, version of, of Woodstock— Uh, it goes a completely different direction and and it is a nightmare. It's, it's ironic in so many ways. Um, and, uh, I, I was, when this started, um, it, it's the film kind of does the, the reverse. Like you see the, them playing, I think I might be just confused. I feel like the opening stuff though, was the concert, the ultimate Springs concert. And then it backtracks, um, because there, there, there's a, uh, I'm sure they were not expecting to have this kind of arc in the narrative that they get, which is that there is this horrific event that happens at the concert that now they're like, we have it on video and that wasn't the plan. They were just supposed to be filming like this happy concert that was free for people and then tragedy strikes. And so it's one of those crazy moments where you're filming with one intent and then something else happens and you just have to, you have to take what you got, because that's what a documentary is supposed to be. You're not fabricating information. You're filming an event, and if that event goes surprisingly differently than you're anticipating, well, you have a very different story that you're now telling. And I found that alone to be so compelling. I mean, um, as an artifact, right? Like, you know, we're looking at, what, 50 years? Jesus. Um, (laughs) And like to like see this play like we out there. <laughs> and, Right. Right. Uh, to see this is it's crazy though. I was, I was really stunned, especially uh, at some of the footage that they, they captured. Um, it's pretty crazy. The, the imagery that you get to see and uh, like the, the, there's some behind the scenes stuff. I think you can see a lot of pop culture has pulled from this documentary because this is a train wreck and like, you kind of see it like, even if the, the worst part of the concert hadn't happened, There's still a lot of stuff that's like very, very train wreck. Like, holy hell, what were they doing? Like, this is insane. And in some ways, I think you see it like Wayne's World 2 when they're putting their concert. on. I think some of the references are there. Um, I actually have when we get into spoilers, I have a list of uh, I I read the entire Wikipedia about this movie. um, And it's very, very well, like, written out and detailed. Um, But I got excited when I found some uh, pop cultural references to this. Um, so I'm going to get into that when we get to spoilers, cause I don't want to reveal any major plot elements. Um, cause again, I didn't know what we were getting into. Like when we were watching this, I'm just like, this sounds familiar. Like Altamont Speedway sounds familiar, but I don't, I don't know. And then when I was watching, I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like I've heard this before. And then when I was looking at the pop cultural stuff, I'm like, ah, I have heard this before. And I knew I had seen it in a movie somewhere, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, i i did enjoy this uh at first i wasn't super pulled into it because again i'm not a big rolling stones fan um i was surprised at uh also this is more of a concert film than our last doc like where there's a lot of like you get like full songs performed um and so i wasn't like super into those although i did realize i appreciate their music more than i thought i did um but overall i I really like this documentary it's definitely super compelling crazy in many scenes um And uh, one I won't forget anytime soon. Uh, What were your thoughts?
0: Oh, man. I had a feeling. I had a feeling (laughs) that we probably won't agree on this one. Again, like, I know my mom listened to the Rolling Stones some, you know, when I lived at home. But, again, nothing like how we, like, my whole family listened to the Beatles. Um. But I also wasn't very familiar with this. I didn't know it was from 1970. I didn't know that it. I knew nothing about this, because um, I feel like I've heard about it more recently. I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive in 1970, but you know what I mean. I've I've heard it talked mm-hmm. about, so I didn't realize it was so old. I didn't find a lot of it very interesting at all, actually. Um, okay. Yeah i I didn't like a lot about it um i feel like this would probably be really good for like a diehard fan but somebody who's real casual or not very familiar with them i mean there's like 10 minutes that's interesting i feel like um and the rest of it is just getting us there so that's that's where i'm at
1: i mean i don't i don't necessarily disagree with that i i was initially not super into it i didn't mind the music but i was also like man if this is just going to be a concert i'm gonna be really bored because i don't know their music like and it's it's not like like um uh stop making sense i really wasn't a fan of talking heads before seeing that like i heard on. way more songs of theirs than i realized um and that was like kind of a cool revelation too it was like oh but like that movie is so insane like, and the concert looks good because that's the thing. A lot of the footage of the concert isn't very good, in my opinion. It's very, you know, uh, gritty and grainy um, because it's it's not lit to be filmed. Like, where Don't Stop Making Sense was meant to be filmed. It was meant to be this movie, concert movie, where this is more of a documentary and we're, like, in weird angles. We're not – we don't have the best view of the stage. We're kind of off to the side and there's a lot of chaos happening. I,
0: I don't like that so much of it is filmed from behind them. Like we see Mick Jagger's back a lot. Like that's not very interesting to look at.
1: Right. It's, it's, it's not, there's so much concert footage for a movie that does not feel like a concert film, even though that was what it's supposed to be. That was their whole premise for doing the the free show is so that they could film it. Uh, At least that's what I read. And, um, that's, that is like, man, you couldn't have got a better angle if your plan was going to be to film it. But part of that problem is, there. This concert was moved two days before it was happening, so everything is like haphazardly pieced together. I, I will. I think what I will say, I find the actual end of the movie and the the all of those revelations that we build to to be so compelling that I kind of forgot that I was not a hundred percent into it at the beginning because i was so into it at the end i was just like kind of flabbergasted at the end just like what how is this like i had no idea we were going here like i had no idea this is where this movie was going even though again it starts with that information like they tell you from the top that somebody has i i feel like i still feel like it's a spoiler but i'm confident at the beginning of the movie we're told that someone died at a concert And then we like back up and we see the like the stones playing somewhere else. And then we see them like we see people debating about where the concert can be held. And we hear people, you know, the bureaucracy of stopping it. you know, there's permits and we want to be compensated for this and that. Yeah, there's so many like, you know, bureaucratic things that stop the concert from happening where it's supposed to happen, which is part of the problem, because when they end up having it, um everything is not what was planned and that's you know that's not how you want to do a free concert where there's just so many people because if you see if you watch Woodstock um or even if, if you read about Woodstock or whatever uh there were a lot of problems with that too it just everything kind of lucked out that you know um people were being kind people were giving food and water and then it rained and the rain actually helped uh, I forget why now, but there was like, the rain was like a blessing. They needed it to cool down or something like that. Like things were, does uh, look like they were going to go terribly, terribly wrong. And they weren't, it wasn't free at first Woodstock And uh, they tore the fences down and like, they just like, you know what? Forget it. Everyone can, can be here. Um, and it, it ended up going fine. This concert went the opposite direction. Like Woodstock could have easily have had this much of a tragedy and been this disastrous and it just worked out. This didn't, and it, it goes horribly wrong. Um, and the fact that they're only four months apart and in direct conversation with each other, like this was this was put on because they were trying to do it again. Like, oh, Woodstock was so amazing, and it was so it was everything we wanted it to be. Let's do it again. And I, it's that lightning doesn't strike twice kind of thing. You know, it's like, nope, this is you tried again, and you just can't recreate that magic. It was luck that it went so smooth the first time. And I I find that alone so compelling and that we have it on video that we have both on video. Keeping in mind too, like think of how many concerts happen all the time right now. And most of them, you only get like fragmented or segmented video clips. You don't get the entirety of the, and especially not the back scene stuff, you know, where you're learning about the, the drama that was unfolding like they're, they're privy to all of that. Like we have that on, on film. And I find that again, as an artifact, really important and, and compelling. And while I can see why it may not be, I do think that um, all of those things put together, make this, uh, I'm glad I watched it. You know, I don't know that I'll rewatch this. I definitely, I, I had a really good time reading about it today. Like alert, like just getting all these details because I, f- I find the story so fascinating. Um, Especially uh, because part of the reason why the Stones wanted to do a free concert was they had been criticized for the price of their concert tickets that they'd been uh, on tour for like the year that their concert tickets were too high. So this was their way of trying to like PR themselves back into the good graces of the fans and the critics because critics were complaining about the prices.
0: I wonder what what I read. The prices were compared to like today's money.
1: Yeah. And today's bands because it was like the Beatles and then the Stones. Right. Like those were the two big pop bands so like you know uh taylor swift tickets i guess would be like the beatles tickets right like she's that tier of now so who would be like sub swift um do a lipa i don't I don't, know. I don't know
0: um
1: but yeah like i and taylor Swift tickets are not cheap and they sell out super fast um
0: I feel like they're, I mean, unless you're seeing a, a much smaller, like a release, really, like a band, I don't know how to word this, like a band that doesn't draw Exist. a large crowd or mm. like a lot of the bands. Yeah. That I go see, I can get tickets for like 20 or 30 bucks, sometimes cheaper. And, so when
1: you go to an imaginary concert, do you yeah. use imaginary money? Yes. Or do you use monopoly oh, okay.
0: money? Um, Sweet. yeah, I like the colors. Um, you know, but it's usually at like smaller venues. Maybe there aren't as many people there, but there are definitely, you know, even I feel like going to regular shows, sometimes the tickets are like 60, 70 bucks sometimes. Yeah. You know, and well, it's uh, not T-Swift.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I would say, especially with Ticketmaster fees, and I don't think Ticketmaster fees probably were it's a all thing of in them. 1970. It's so much of the ticket prices, but... All of them. It's not just, um,
0: just Ticketmaster. Oh, yeah. You-
1: I've, I didn't know there were other companies, to oh, be honest. I, oh, yeah.
0: We have just been a while. started getting like Ticketmaster over here, but um, we have Eventbrite. They're not quite as bad, but I'm forgetting one of the companies that we have, and they are just as bad as Ticketmaster. I'm like, Ticketmaster gets all of this smack, and they get sued all the time, and they're not learning, but they're not the only ones. True, <sighs> true.
1: Well, let's uh, get into spoiler territory so we can talk about these fun pop cultural references. And uh, I don't think we have too much left on this episode because it is it's a short movie, to be honest, an hour and a half. Um, And again, a lot of it is just them playing and we're not going to talk about the performances so much. So all of it. No, I'm kidding. Let's get let's get into spoilers.
0: Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about Gimme Shelter. You have been warned.
1: So. All right. So I'm going to go through these pop culture things first. Uh, Real quick person's murdered, like outright murder. And we see it happen essentially. Um, And I guess the, the, I guess I can't call it murder um, because the person who does the stabbing is goes to to court, but is not convicted because they rule it self-defense. The person does have a gun. It is pretty clear in the video that the person's holding a gun. So I guess it's, it's not tech. It's not murder is a legal claim and the person who did the killing was not convicted. Thus it's not technically murder, but do get stabbed like at least twice that you see. And then supposedly he had five or six stab wounds
0: kicked in his um,
1: head. Yeah. And they, they supposedly stomped on him too. So the big thing is rather than hiring police as security, they got hell's angels uh, and paid them in $500 worth of beer to guard the stage. Now there's a lot of disputes over whether they had committed to actually quote unquote policing or acting as security versus uh, basically just agreeing to sit on stage as a, a human shield of, for the stage essentially, which was necessary because when they, when they moved to this Altamont speedway, the stage was going to be set at the bottom of a hill, like in the Valley of this hill so the the crowd was literally falling towards the stage, right? And the stage was only like 3 feet off the ground and they didn't have time to get a bigger stage.
0: Who in their who in their right mind would think that's a good idea? Like for any well, band, but especially for a big band.
1: So the original setup at the other the so they were originally going to be at um I I think the fairgrounds which or something uh-huh. like that which was next to uh, a big uh, San Francisco 49er game was happening. That's why they couldn't do it there. So then they were doing it in a different speedway, a different, uh, yeah, the park is correct. They were doing it in a different speedway that was was up on a hill. The stage would have been up high, right? So the okay. three foot stage worked. But then they got moved because the people who had that's speedway wanted all that extra money and, and they wanted compensation and they wanted blah, blah, blah. So then they moved to this place because the dude who owned this place was all about making money. Didn't give two craps if anyone got hurt. And then they end up having to use this small stage on the bottom of the hill. So literally the crowd is pushing themselves onto the stage. And so it was a disaster just with that. And then they hire hell's angels as a security quote unquote barrier um again that's disputed on what the agreement actually was or how how it was worded, blah blah blah. One side says one thing, the Hells Angels say another thing, blah. It's it's chaos. Um and just craziness ensues. Like the amount of people on the stage throughout was nuts, right? And you hear like uh Jefferson Airplane, they're like begging the audience to chill out and like I mean Also for hear... the Hells
0: Angels to so calm down.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm counting the Hells Angels as an audience. There's a part where you see them beating people with pool, like, pool cues, yeah. which I'm like, why do you even have pool cues? There's no pool tables anywhere. You're in the middle of a field. Like, you brought those to hurt people. Like, there's no debating that, right? Like, why else do they have pool cues unless you're looking to hit somebody? Like, there's no other reason in the middle of a field.
0: So I was a little confused on this. I um I thought that the concert at the beginning was a different concert. Different.
1: I could be wrong, but I know for a fact that at the very beginning they talk about the murder. Like, it is outright said. And the, the scene at the end where Mick Jagger is watching footage of this well, documentary mm-hmm. is I'm pretty sure what they're talking about at the very, very beginning. I could be wrong. But that was what I interpreted it to be.
0: Well, I thought that it seemed like it was in I thought it was the first place where they had it successfully because Altamont wasn't their first free concert, was it? I thought that they were doing a series of them.
1: No, I think that is a mistake. I think this was their free concert, and that's the framing of the movie, is that they start at the end, and then they go backwards.
0: Oh, because this, at the very, very beginning where it's dark, it looked like a a much larger stage, higher up, like people, but they still had Hell's Angels there, and that was a poop show. And I was like, why would they invite them back? But maybe I'm all confused. But it looked like a much bigger stage. No, like, you know, audience members were on stage wrong
1: and i could be wrong um again i I definitely was i wasn't 100 percent checked in uh to this movie when i first started again i I was kind of like uh but um by the end i was much more into it
0: i didn't like like us watching them watching themselves on screen like you know and talking about this new filming whatever that they have like i don't need to see that I didn't find it interesting at all them watching these tiny little screens.
1: I don't know. Um, one of the criticisms I read was, or at least one of the things I read was that there was a lot of criticism with this movie that it was too sympathetic to the stones and they like not making them accountable for uh, the, the thing, the choices that were made to like make this concert happen in a rush and you know knowing that it, all the the proper safety protocols were not in place there wasn't like good medical tents and things like that and even um like afterwards i think richard's claims to uh not richard's um jagger. jagger claims to have not seen anything from the stage but like when you're watching the concert it sounds like he sees a lot because he's telling people to calm down and we need a doctor and so there's a lot of like like questioning whether or not he's being truthful or if he's trying to like cover his own culpability for the events. Um, But here's some, some details. So uh, Keith Richards, who's notoriously like super drugged out, right? Um, The Rolling Stones, Keith Richards was relatively sanguine about the show, calling it basically well handled, but lots of people were tired and a few tempers got frayed. And on the whole, a good concert, like he wasn't even like aware. It it comes off like he's oblivious to the horrors that (laughs) happened.
0: Well, did it like, Mick jagger tell him to stop playing at one point because he just kept playing and then Mick jagger's trying to like calm down the crowd
1: i think so yeah there's a lot of <laughs> moments like that where like uh different bands throughout right like they're everyone's freaking out because it's scary like it's, it's
0: again another stressful kind of place that i would never want to find myself in if i ended up somewhere like that i don't care if it costs me money Hey, I'm gonna move away, far away from the stage, like the little old person I am, or I'm gonna leave. Like mm-hmm. it, it, like people are getting beat senseless for no reason, just by being, and they're like throwing people and like the people who are like trying to crowd surf. Even and that, I just felt like that audience was very aggressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally different vibe. Um, uh, so the Grateful Dead wrote several songs about or in response to uh, <laughs> oh. what. What lyricist Robert Hunter called the Altamont Affair, uh, including, I, don't, I, I literally don't think I've ever heard a Grateful Dead song, by the way, but including New Speedway Boogie, featuring the line, One Way or Another, This Darkness Gotta Give, and Mason's Children. Both songs were written and recorded during the sessions in, from the early 1970 album, Working Man's Dead, but Mason's Children was not included. Altamont also inspired the Blue Oyster Cult song, Transmission MC. Uh, MC, MC means Motorcycle Club, the opening track of their first album. Okay, this is where I had heard the most about this. Uh, Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy, when he's singing karaoke for somebody to love, he says, uh, you might recognize this song as performed by Jefferson Airplane in a little documentary called Gimme Shelter about the Rolling Stones and their nightmare at Altamont. That night, the Oakland chapter of Hell's Angels had their way. Tonight, it's my turn. That was my chipped uh, impression from Cable Guy, <laughs> Uh, best I could. But I, I've seen that movie far too many times and what more when i got my first cd boombox in 1996 i got four cds and the cable guy soundtrack was one of them and it included the somebody to love performance oh by jim carrey with that entire quote in the song so i'd heard that so many times and didn't know what he was talking about until i was watching this movie i'm like i feel like this is familiar And I'm like, I feel like Jim Carrey said something. And then I found it on the Wikipedia. I'm like, aha, I was right. And uh, that's ridiculous. But nevertheless, Um, then in 2004, Australian electro psych group Black Cab released their debut LP, Altamont Diary, a concept album based on the concert and its cultural fallout. And then this one, my friend uh, actually showed me she got pictures of the lyrics and sent it to me. But I found this on the Wikipedia page, too. But she's uh, apparently a big fan of the American Pie song oh yeah and altamont is referenced in don mclean in the song american pie in the song's fifth verse the majority of of which contains symbols related to altamont jack flash is a reference to san francisco uh candlestick though the venue had nothing to do with the actual concert um sympathy for the devil an enraged spectator watching something on stage and an angel born in hell mclean officially refused to confirm or deny the song's ties to altamont until he sold his songwriting notes in 2015 Within the context of the song, Altamont served as the culmination of a 10 year period that had begun with the plane crash that killed Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the big bopper in 1959, um, during which things were uh, heading in the wrong direction. And apparently McLean was a very critical of the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger in general. Um, and then, uh, in 2008 this so this concert is 1970 but in 2008 a former fbi agent asserted that some members of the hell's angels had conspired to murder Mick Jagger in retribution for the rolling stones lack of support following the concert and there's phone calls of the of the the uh hell's angels that's also why i know at the beginning it's it's definitely the end because the hell's angels are talking about um this exact thing that they didn't uh back them up and that nobody touches my motorcycle, you know, like uh, blah, blah, blah. That's all from my understanding after the concert and them mad that the stones aren't like defending them, that they're basically kind of blaming them for what happened. Um, It's yeah. uh, Some crazy stuff. It's, that's what I'm saying. Like I find it, I I kind of, I wouldn't normally want to rewatch this, but I want to rewatch it so I can make sure that I'm correct with my interpretation of that beginning because I think it's it, it's a it's an interesting narrative choice to start at the end in a documentary, right? Like usually a documentary, you're you're chronicling it in in order. Um, but if to choose to do that, especially because you got to assume people would have heard about it before the documentary comes out, like people would have known about this event, so no point in trying to build up to this horrific moment own it at the beginning that this horrible thing happened. Here's how we got to the point where this was enabled to happen, that we we made bad choices. We made shady deals with, with you know, very clearly greedy uh, businessmen who wanted the concert at all costs. Um, so I think that's why you get it in that way, but that's still an interesting and unusual choice for a documentary and why I think uh, it has an 80 meta score and a 7.8 IMDb user score because it it's crazy influential. Again, the actual concert footage is not great. Like you said the, the angles are bad, the lighting's not good. I think I commented on that. Um it's not the worst concert video I've ever seen, but it's definitely nowhere near one I would, I think the Woodstock uh cinematography alone is substantially better. Um you get some really cool the Hendrix performance in the Woodstock documentary, it, which again, if you've seen a Hendrix performance at yeah. Woodstock, it's from that documentary but it's the camera works nuts. Cause you just have these amazing angles of Hendrix, like doing the solos and you just like, you feel like you're at on the foot of the stage where here, it feels like you're a roadie who got a bad angle, you know, like you're just behind them, like you said. And uh, so, yeah, as a concert film, I would not think this is very, very good. As a document showing this tragedy and how this tragedy was allowed to occur, or why the circumstances around this concert were so bad, I think it's pretty crazy and pretty candid about it. Like, we really have a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I do think some of the criticism, the Stones definitely look like they're they're portrayed to be a lot more innocent than I think they were. At, at least in, like, obviously they didn't, I don't feel like they were, like, wanting someone to die or anything like that, but that they were involved in the decisions and the the maybe the greed or the... Um, the push to make clear their name of having these expensive concerts made them push to have this concert despite knowing there was a lot of potential hazards happening.
0: Wasn't one of the guys that helped put on Woodstock, though, like helping them organize this?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I, I I don't remember his name, but yeah. But apparently Woodstock was pretty uh, like I think they they switched cities like two days before that concert. And again, Woodstock was almost a disaster like it was super close to being a disaster it just worked out and they made some choices because again originally it was not free it became free um when they realized that people were like breaking in they were cutting the holes in the fence anyways and and people were getting sick and whatever so they were just like you know what screw it let's just let everybody in it'll be easier to control that way than to try to like you know because people were getting in anyways you might as well let them in safely in that way. Like, I can't remember for sure. I've only seen it once it's four hours. I'm not like, I'm by no means an expert on it, but my understanding is it wasn't free. It became free and it looked like everything was going to fall apart and people were going to start dying of like dehydration and stuff. And then circumstances just played out and it worked out really, really well. And that doesn't mean the guy who did it could recreate that magic. And that's what they tried to do. And they failed. So I find that really interesting, uh, sad, tragic, but interesting.
0: Yeah. There, I don't know. Just, I think it's so funny. Some of the things that get like documented, I I'm forgetting the name of the documentary that we watched last year about the magician.
1: Um, the amazing Jonathan.
0: Yes. Thank you. And like how he wouldn't let so many things be recorded. Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. documented on film, even though we know what's happening. And then it's just, yeah. like, even with, like, I don't know. Some of the people in this documentary are so far out of their minds.
1: Yeah. I'm but just, a, lot, a lot of drugs.
0: Yeah, I'm just, like, waiting. I don't know. They were the one guy towards the end. They kept, like, you know, watching. And there were some other people that were just wild. I don't know. It it's just so funny to me because it's like this. You're immortalized like this now. I don't know.
1: No, again, and that's uh, one of my favorite documentaries. Like that is Weiner, um, about Anthony Weiner, the the uh, Senate. The I think he was a senator, and then he was running for governor or mayor in New York. And uh, you know, he, when we join him in the documentary, he's he's on a comeback because he he had disgraced himself. By uh, sending a tweet that was like a picture of him. It wasn't even nude. It was like his just his crotch area, but covered with underwear. But he tweeted it instead of sending a DM, and it went you know viral. And he got he stepped down. And so the documentary starts with him trying like, okay, it's been a couple of years. I've cleaned up my image. I'm back on the campaign trail, and. He hires a documentary crew to document that process, thinking, "Hey, this will be a compelling story—a guy who was disgraced, but he fought his way back because he's, you know, dedicated. He's driven. He's a, a hardworking politician." And then things go wrong, and the the film crew is there to capture it. And at one point, the film crew even asks him, "Is like, why are you still letting us film this?" And he looks at them very broken and just kind of shrugs, like. I don't even know, and oh no, it's like in the like it's like wow, <laughs> talk about candid. This is nuts, and um, yeah, like that. This isn't quite to that level, but you are kind of like wow, I can't believe they captured all of this. Like, it, it is kind of crazy that they were able to 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 document so much, um, and so yeah, that's that's give me shelter. Um, I I like it. I I don't. I think it's. I think it qualifies as a must see if you are uh, definitely if you're a Rolling Stones fan because maybe you'll reevaluate if you should be a fan, but also if you're like into history or um, I, I don't know. Like it's not often where a documentary really captures like something so revolutionary in that it it ends an era like this. That concert, that murder at the end of this era of peace is often attached to either symbolically or literally the end of like the hippie movement, the end of the sixties, as we are literally transitioning into the seventies from the end of that concert, but also because everything was peace, love and happiness. And then like this concert shows everything, not that and uh, following Woodstock. So, so closely, it, it makes sense that even again, if, even if it was already at its end, that this was like the, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. So it's it's compelling for those reasons. I think my personal enjoyment is probably more not quite golden, though. That's where I would most likely put it.
0: I'm going to go with the decent watch.
1: That's fair. Um, we will be back next week uh, with uh, the, a review of Tina, which is a 2021 Ooh. film available on um, HBO Max. It is an HBO Max documentary. Uh, so far... Of the four documentaries we're covering this month, three of them are on HBO Max. <laughs> um, but I didn't really like Tina, that. I, I think I might have picked them because of that. Um, I, again, I looked up like music documentaries that, I, and I was like, one of the caveats, of course, when we pick movies, it has to be ones we haven't seen. And these were all high on the list um, somewhere uh, for me. the my two Tina, um, probably too new to be high on the list. It, it's getting good reviews overall, though. Looking at uh, Letterbox here. Um, but oh, uh, we we are going to be watching it.
0: And I think, wasn't she just nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist?
1: I don't know. I think it was just I wouldn't be surprised. a couple days ago. Oh, I'm always excited to see Kurt Loder's name on something. So he's <gasps> going to be in this. Um, what? Oh, reminds me of old days of
0: MTV. On MTV.
1: Actually, right away. So Tina Turner is obviously the first one on the list. But Angela Bassett and Oprah Winfrey are the next two. Oh, so. That they're going to be uh, prominent and that's cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to check this one out. Um, I did think it was a cool little nod that she was in the gimme shelter. Uh, I was like, Oh, foreshadowing. So um, we did that on purpose listeners, but in the meantime, if you like uh, like what we're doing, you want to communicate, you want to tell us your thoughts on these movies or if, why we're wrong or why we're right. You can follow us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews on all the the interwebs, and in Corey
0: at Corey R Star Two R's on the end.
1: And if you like what we're doing here at Movie Club, we ask that you take just a few minutes and rate and review our podcast. It helps other people find us, so that they too can enjoy the soothing sounds of Corey's uh, starrific voice. And uh, that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week. Until then, keep watching movies. This has been a Berk Reviews podcast, berkreviews.com.
0: Hey, this is Matt from What I Watched Tonight. Come join me in the back row for movie discussion, retrospective episodes with guests, director
1: focus shows, end of year rankings, start of the year predictions and much, much more. There's more going on in the back row than you might think.